is so important to Paul that the resurrection is true, that he says, if that didn't happen, everything that we're doing here is in vain and you're still in your sins. Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for February 25th, 2018. Today, Brother Omar brings us the fourth message in his series, Statement of Faith, Doctrine of God. So if Christ didn't come down and incarnated and became a human being and took on a human nature and died and resurrected, if that resurrection was not a physical resurrection, an actual real resurrection, then we're still in our sins and all of this thing that we believe is nothing. It's a waste of our time. If all the hope that we have is for this life only, then all that we believe is in vain. Brother Omar says that Jesus knows and cares about how we feel as humans because he has been there himself. He says that Jesus was also tempted to sin in all ways just as we are, but he never sinned. And because of this, he is our go-between and we are able to boldly approach his throne of grace and ask for forgiveness. Now he'll be reading from the book of Romans, so grab your Bibles and follow along with us as we explore God's word here on Followers of the Way. We're in the Statement of Faith series on the doctrine of God. And last time we spoke, we ended with the doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. We've been covering the whole issue of the Trinity, how the Trinity, we believe as Christians, that the Bible reveals God to be three person, yet only one God. And we also believe that the Son of God, or the Word, the second person of the Trinity, became man. God became man. He came and, and, and entered the world and, as a human being. So, as a result of that, we also believe that Jesus Christ has two natures. We talked about the two natures of God, right? God is, Jesus is 100% fully God. He's 100% fully man. And in theology, they call this the hypostatic union. Christ has two natures. Now, when we say that God became man, we don't mean that God lost his divinity, like he... he came down, and, and somehow he's a mixture of human and man. He acquired a human nature, but Christ still has his divine nature, which he shares with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So it was not a subtraction, but it was yeah, he acquired a nature, a human nature. So because he's the second person of the Trinity... He's equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit and shares with them the same divine nature. So in a general sense, we can say that God became man. But in a more specific sense, it was the Son of God, which is the second person of the Trinity who acquired a human nature, not the Father or the Holy Spirit. The Father did not become man, neither did the Holy Spirit. But the, the Son of God, or God the Son, became man. He acquired a human nature. Now, this is very difficult for our minds to understand because, number one, we have to, as Christians, when you study the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of the Incarnation, you quickly realize how limited your mind is when you're trying to put this all together in your head. It's, it's very hard to grasp, but we're dealing with an infinite God who is beyond describing. So God, three persons, coexistent, co-equal, sharing a divine nature, one of those persons acquires a human nature, yet that human nature is not 
share with the other two persons, but his divine nature is share with the other two persons. Does that make sense? Okay. Question that I asked myself was, why the Son? Why did God the Son incarnate? Why didn't the Father come? Why didn't the Holy Spirit come? Unless you ask Mita, they believe that Mita, you guys know Mita? Okay, that's our only official Puerto Rican cult. They believe that their leader was the incarnation of the Holy Spirit. But why, why the Son and why not the other two is the question that I ask. Now, I found of all the places that I looked to answer this question, Thomas Aquinas, a very important theologian, gave a very interesting answer to this question. In Thomas Aquinas' probably most famous work is Summa Theologica, which is a compendium of theology that he wrote. And he says, and I'm going to read this, bear with me, because then I have to translate it into regular English. He says, the person of the Son, that is Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God, has a certain common agreement with all creatures. Because the word of the craftsman, i.e. his concept, is an exemplar likeness of whatever is made by him. Hence the word of God, who is his eternal concept, is the exemplar likeness of all creatures. For the craftsman, by the intelligible form of his art, whereby he fashioned his handiwork, restores it when it was fallen into ruin. What is he saying? He's saying that the second person of the Trinity, the person of the Son, is the concept. Now, when you look at Genesis 1, you get a bird's eye view. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the earth was void, and there was darkness, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's creation. You get the bird's eye view. But when you go to John 1.1, John zooms in and tells us, in the beginning was the Word, remember? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that was made was made through Him. So when God creates, and God is there, and there's darkness, and this void, and He says, let there be light, and there was light, that Word that God speaks is the Logos, is the Son. So everything that is made was made by God speaking. God spoke everything into existence. You know, let the sky go here, let this have here. As God is speaking, God the Father is speaking. What He's speaking is God the Son. And God the Son is bringing all these things into existence. When John uh, uses the word logos, the word logos was a whole philosophical concept that the Greeks thought about. The Greeks had this issue. They wanted to know why things were the way they were, why things happened, right? And, for example, if I wanted to trim my beard, and I went out to my garage, and I grabbed the trimmer for the weed, right? And I tried to do my beard, you're going to walk up to me, you're going to be like, let me explain to you why you're missing half of your face. <laughs> the trimmer, okay, was made for something called landscaping. Landscaping is a logos. Landscaping is a concept. Back in the day, people let stuff grow. Nobody walked around saying, with a little 
stone knife doing this number. They just let stuff grow. But as civilization happens and we got to cut back and we have to keep the stuff back, a whole concept was born, landscaping. That concept gives birth to what? Trimmers, lawnmowers. All these things were made because behind all of that, there is a logo called landscaping. All right? So God creates the world through the Word. The Word is the logos of all that is made. That's why Aquinas is saying. So when the world is fallen, when Adam sins and the world is fallen, Aquinas says that the same way the craftsman uses his concept, his art form, to create something. When that something is ruined, he's going to use the same thing that he created to fix it. So if you have a painter and he paints a beautiful painting and somebody sprays graffiti, he's not going to look at it and write a poem. He's going to use the same art form that he used to paint it to fix it. So what Aquinas is saying is this. He said, through him, all that is made was made. He means the logos is the means by which God created the world. Like he, the son, is the logos of all that is made. So in this way, the logos has a certain common agreement with all creatures. See, we, because we were made by him and all things that were made, we share something of him. We have a certain agreement, a certain likeness to him. If this be so, Aquinas says, God the Father would best repair his creation by the same word through whom he first created it. So the artist is going to fix his painting the way that he made his painting originally. So Jesus Christ is the logos, is the reason behind everything, so he comes down to fix it. God is fixing it the same way he created it. Does that make sense? You have no idea how long that took me to put together. <laughs> All right. It was like three days. All right. So in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Apostle Paul, he kind of takes John's idea and he explains it a little bit. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Now notice that Paul ascribes to him, to the Son, divinity, right? He's creating, he's the creator. So this is the Almighty described by Paul. And then Paul goes on to say that through him all things were made, and through him all things are being reconciled. Keep on reading. He says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He is everything that he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So he is creator, and by him and for him all things were made. He is also reconciling. He is fixing what he created that we have broken. So he is 
the Son coming down and incarnating is the way in which the Father is repainting the graffiti that we put on that beautiful thing that he created. So, Paul is echoing John. Uh, he is the means by which all things were created. Furthermore, he's also the reason, the logos of all things. This is why you and I exist. We exist. We live for him. This is why this world was created. It was created by him and for him. This is why the sun rises every morning. This is why you got oceans and sands. This is why you look outside. All of the things that you see in this planet that are good were created by him and for him. He is the reason. Here's why you're alive. You want to figure out why you're here. Eventually, you're going to track it down to him. You're going to go all the way back to him. Because he's the reason why you're here. Right? So, creation was broken and ruined. And sin entered the world and death through sin. Our relationship with him was broken. And as a consequence, our bodies who were created by God himself with his own hands, began to decay. We get old. We get sick. This is what sin did. And even creation itself, if you read the Bible, was cursed. And Romans chapter 8 says the creation itself was subject to futility and is groaning because of sin. So when the Bible says that he's going to reconcile all things, he's going to reconcile all things. All things are going to be redeemed and renewed one day. Your soul, your body, nature, everything is going to be reconciled. So, Christ, everything was made, was made for him. Everything was ruined because of sin. Christ came down in human flesh with his own body to fix what we broke. All right? So, Romans chapter 7, we're going to look at why was important that he came with a body. Romans chapter 7. Romans 6, 7, and 8 should be memorized and quoted. Romans chapter 7. I'm going to talk a little bit about why God came down. Why did he save us the way that he did? Now, I don't know if you ever watch these like nature shows when they show people get bitten by snakes and stuff like that. How do, they, how do you cure with the venom, right? You get the same thing that kills you is the same thing that is going to fix it. So in Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read this to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says this, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What Paul is saying is, if you read the book of Romans, which you should, you get to Romans chapter 7. Right, you get these high notes in Romans. It starts like this and kind of go up and then boom and then boom. And then you get to Romans chapter 7. You're like, whoa, it comes down. Because in Romans chapter 7, you get a description of the Apostle Paul. He's saying, Romans chapter 7 verse 14, he says this. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want I do the very thing I hate. No, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that the law is good. So now it is no longer I, but sin that dwells in me. So what he's saying is you have this thing called the law. Righteous, perfect, great, good. But then he has this other thing called the flesh, his body. What Paul is describing is when the flesh, his flesh, meets the law, 
the law kills him every single time. So the, when the flesh interacts with the God's perfect holy law, the flesh cannot win. It's always being defeated. Romans chapter 7 is a defeated man. The law came, he says, and slew me. It killed me. Now you have to understand, this is a man who was a Pharisee. This is a man who knew God's law. And he's describing a life of defeat because the flesh is too weak, it's too corrupt to meet the demands of the law. Romans chapter 7, I firmly agree, describes the man before salvation. But here's what happens when Paul meets Christ. He says this, verse 2, chapter 8, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What is the law of sin and death? Romans chapter 7, For God has done what the law weakened by our flesh could not do. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. So, we have a problem. Our flesh is weak, the law is good. God has a solution. He prepares a body of flesh in the likeness of sinful flesh, without sin, sends them, takes sin, and condemns it in his own flesh. So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in, in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Our problem is that our flesh was weak and corrupted. He takes a body of his own, comes down, condemns, bore our sins, condemns it in his flesh, it sets us free from the law of sin and death. So the snake poison is defeated by snake poison. <laughs> our problem was our flesh, Christ takes on flesh, and he defeats sin in the flesh. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 says this, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. His body of flesh has sanctified us once and for all. Romans chapter 7 says this, verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit to God. So his body, his incarnation, this is God. This is the second person of the Trinity, the one that created all things for him, comes down, takes a body like yours and mine, without sin, human, human body. It wasn't no human body. You punch him, he will bleed. And he dies, is buried, and he's resurrected. And in his death, he took our sin, he took our flesh with him and condemned sin in his body and sets us free. He sanctified us by his death through his body. This is why the incarnation is so important. If you don't have this, you're still in your sins. If there was no body, if God himself did not come down with his own flesh, then you're still in your sin and you're still being defeated by the law. This is why this is so important. Now, because he is God and he is man, then he can be our perfect mediator and high priest. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews again. 
Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But one who is in every aspect tempted as we were, yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace and help in a time of need. I love the fact that he says he can identify with your weaknesses. See, he knows. God remembers that we are dust. He knows when you're tempted and when in life there's sin about you, he knows that. You're not talking to some high thing up there that has no relation. He's been here and he's been tempted in all ways. In all ways as we were, yet without sin. So because of that, he says, you can come boldly to the throne of grace. Because when you go to God and you have done something that you're ashamed and you come to that holy God in the Old Testament, they had like a rope tied to the priest. So if, you know, they just drag him out, right? He was so holy. But there is a, between you and that holy God, there is a man, Christ Jesus. And you say to him, I was tempted and I fell. And he says, I know. I know what it is. I was there. Didn't sin, but I know what it is. He's our mediator. He's our high priest because he is God, but because he is man, fully God, fully man. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22 says this. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. They were humans. They died. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. And he always, always lives to make intercession for them. I mean, he's fully man. He identifies with your weaknesses, but he's fully God. He abides forever. He can make intercession for us forever. Fully God fully man. Without that, you don't have a mediator. So, Jesus Christ comes down, takes a human body, dies for us. And here's our hope. He didn't stay in the tomb. His body resurrected. The Logos took on a physical body, had a physical death, and a physical resurrection. He didn't stay there. He came back. He came back with the same body that he was buried is the same body that walked out. If you read your Bibles, you see that he's going around showing people his wounds. He's showing people his marks. Why? It's the same physical body. You know what I love about the fact, you know, that, that he, can't, he comes in a human body, and then when he's resurrected, he's resurrected. That shows you that God cares about stuff, like, like material stuff. You know, the, the early Gnostics believed that everything good was spiritual. It was just stuff floating around. And even in the Christian church, we think when we go to heaven, we're going to be floating around like this floaty stuff. No, God cares about stuff, about things. So he takes on a physical body. He comes back after he's 
dead and buried. He's resurrecting. He was raised from the dead in the same physical body that he was buried. He says, he says this, Jesus rose from the dead in the very same physical body in which he died. This resurrected physical body, though, was glorified. The spiritual body, as it is called, or the heavenly body, some people call it, is not merely a spirit. The spiritual body is the resurrected, glorified, physical body of Jesus Christ. He ascends up to heaven, and when the Bible says he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, he's literally sitting because he, he could sit. You see what I'm saying? He, this is not like an allegory. <laughs> he actually sits. And when we see him, we're going to see him with his body. You can shake his hand. You can give him a hug. You can give him a kiss. Because he's going to be there standing just the same way that we're standing here. Glorified, but he's still going to stand. So that is our hope. Your hope for the future is that Christ came, took on a physical body, died, took your sin and condemned it in his flesh, and then he walks out of the tomb like it's nothing, that he goes up to heaven and takes physical body, humanity himself, he takes it up there all the way onto the Godhead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is our hope. This is Paul. I like Paul. Verse 35, but some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. I love Paul. <laughs> I don't think Paul will last long in our churches. So, so hey, Paul, what kind of body is he going to give? You idiot. You don't know. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body he has chosen. And to each kind of seed, its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, the glory of the earthly is of another. What's he saying? He's saying this. When you have a grain of wheat and you bury it, it has a type of body. That body dies and then you get the plant. So what Paul is saying that this body that we have today, this flesh body, when we die and we bury it, that's not going to be the end. God is going to take another body, he's going to take that body, he's going to glorify it. So in the future, he says, verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in the sunner. That's our bodies. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam, that is Jesus, became a life-given spirit. It is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth earthy. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so is also those who are of the dust. As it is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Our hope is that when we're buried, we're going to be resurrected in power and newness of life. And 
John, the, the very same man who wrote about the logos, if you go to 1 John chapter 3, he says, we don't know how we're going to be. All we know, we do know, that when we see him, we're going to be like he is. That's what we know. So you ask John, he says, what is this going to look like? I don't know what it's going to look like. I have no idea. All I know, and I know for a fact, that when I see him again, I'm going to be as he is. I'm going to have the same body as he has. See, this is why this is essential. Without this, you have no Christianity. In fact, the Apostle Paul, uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5.14. This is the Apostle Paul. I think I missed it. It's chapter 2. God, I want to read this so bad. Paul says, If Christ was not raised from the dead, we are still in our sins, he says. So, it's so important to Paul that the resurrection is true, that he says, if that didn't happen, everything that we're doing here is in vain, and you're still in your sins. So if Christ didn't come down and incarnated and became a human being and took on a human nature and died and resurrected, if that resurrection was not a physical resurrection, an actual real resurrection, then we're still in our sins and all of this thing that we believe is nothing. It's a waste of our times. If all the hope that we have is for this life only, then all that we believe is in vain. It's all a lie. Because the resurrection is our hope. It's what we're living for. All things were created through him and for him, but sin entered the world and death by marrying and scouring his creation. But God, who created all things through him, has sent him to reconcile all things. And now, this is our part, he has given us a ministry of reconciliation. He's fixing the world, and he's employing us to fix the world. This is what Paul says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, he says this. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we regarded once Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I love that. New creation. What was happening in Genesis 1-1? Creation. Then creation fell. A new creation is happening now. So if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. He is bringing back the world to himself. He is fixing what is broken. He gives us a ministry. He calls it the ministry of fixing what was broken. He was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, 
God making his, his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he has made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, working together with him. Then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. God is fixing what's broken. And not only did he come down as a human being, but he then turns around and takes human beings and makes them now the means by which he's fixing what was broken. That is our ministry. If you think about it, the way that God created the heavens and the earth through Christ, Christ is recreating the heavens and the earth through his church. We are the ministers, the ambassadors of Christ. I love that word ambassador. This is a very special, specific word that he uses. Because when an ambassador goes to some country, okay, he, he lives in that country, but he's not from that country. He's from the other country. Right? In fact, in the old days, embassies were known as missions. They were, that's that's uh, the, whatever, the, the Nigerian mission in New York. That's what they were called. And the Nigerian embassy in New York was... Nigeria in New York, technically. So we are ambassadors for Christ. So we live here, but we're not of here. We are Christians in this country because we're his ambassadors. And we have a mission. Our mission is to promote the interest of our country here. In fact, we even have a better mission. Our mission it's like Joshua, who went into Canaan. Joshua was not from Canaan. He went into Canaan. But Joshua's mission was to go to Canaan and turn Canaan into Israel. We're here not just to live here and promote our interests. We're here to bring heaven down wherever we're at. That's our ministry of reconciliation. We're going to reconcile what is here to what is, is up there. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our ministry of reconciliation. And Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God. Chapter 6 says, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now, today, is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the ministry you've given us, the privilege to serve you, Lord, and the privilege to be the means by which you will reconcile this world to you, Lord. I pray you continue to use your church, Lord. I pray that you continue to use us in every way, shape, or form that we can, Lord, to bring a little bit of your kingdom wherever we go, Lord, and that we may make a difference to you. We thank you for coming down, Lord, in human form, Lord. We thank you for bearing our sins, Lord, on the cross as you did, Lord. And we thank you that we, irregardless what happens to us, Lord, even if we die, we have the hope of resurrection and you will raise us from the dead, Lord, and we will see you 
as you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.